This afternoon we are going to be considering Baptist Catechism number 42. It asks, What shall be done to the wicked at their death? The answer is this. The souls of the wicked shall, at death, be cast into the torments of hell, and their bodies lie in their graves till the resurrection and judgment of the last day. I will read now from Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Jesus spoke these words, saying, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm, has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is now the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the teaching of Scripture today. Over the past several weeks, our catechism has been helping us to consider the blessings that come to those who have faith in Christ. In our catechism, these blessings, which are called benefits, are presented in three stages. First, in questions 35 through 39, we are told of the benefits that come to those who have faith in Christ in this life. They are justification, adoption, and sanctification. And there in that section we are told about the several benefits which in this life do either accompany or flow from these. Namely, the assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace and perseverance therein to the end. So these blessings that I have just mentioned, justification, adoption, sanctification, and the blessings that either accompany or flow from them. These are blessings or benefits that come to the one who has faith in Christ In this life, we have these now if we have faith in Christ. Question 40 then asks, What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? That is a very good question, isn't it? 
We experience many blessings in this life through faith in Jesus Christ. But what about when we die? Are there blessings that come to the believer then at the moment of death? Answer, yes. The souls of believers are at death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. This is very comforting, isn't it? Though death is an unpleasant thing for all people, for the believer there is a sense in which it is a blessed thing because of what Christ has accomplished for us. When the believer dies, their souls go immediately into the presence of God, that is to say, into glory. Question 41 then asks, What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? Answer, at the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed both in soul and body in full enjoyment of God to all eternity. We considered this question and answer last Sunday, so I will not comment on it now. Notice that each one of these questions and answers helps us to better appreciate what Christ has done for us. When Christ accomplished our salvation long ago, uh, which He did this nearly 2,000 years ago, He lived, died, and rose again and ascended the Father. Um, let me start that sentence over again. Please forgive me. I wonder if Mike could edit the lesson at this point so I don't look foolish for years to come in the archives. Let me start again. When did Christ accomplish our salvation? That is what I wanted to say. When did Christ accomplish our salvation? Answer, a long time ago. He accomplished our salvation nearly 2,000 years ago when He lived, died, rose again, and ascended to the Father. Our catechism teaches us all about the accomplishment of our redemption in questions 23-31. through But when are the benefits of that salvation that Christ has earned applied were given to the people for whom Christ died? Answer, it is when they turn from their sins and place their faith in Christ. Questions 32 through 43 of our catechism teach us about the application of the redemption which Christ earned so long ago to the believer in due time. Notice that here in question 42, which we are considering today, And in question 43, which we will consider on the next Lord's Day, Lord willing, the blessings that will be enjoyed by those who have faith in Christ at death and at the resurrection are contrasted with the awful destiny of those who die in unbelief and in their sins. Listen again to the question, number 42. But, that word is important, isn't it? It is a word indicating contrast. We have learned this. We have just learned the blessings that will be enjoyed by believers at the moment of death and at the resurrection. But question 42 begins with the word, but. It's a word of contrast. But what shall be done to the wicked at their death? Again, the answer. Hear it. The souls of the wicked shall at death be cast into the torments of hell, and their bodies lie in their graves till the resurrection and judgment of the great day. Brothers and sisters, young and old, I do admit these are unpleasant truths. But I hope you agree with me. These are essential truths that must be proclaimed. 
For here we have the biblical truth concerning the destiny of the wicked. And here we also have the biblical truth concerning the thing that Christ has saved us from, if He is our Lord and Savior. And so as we consider the next two catechism questions and answers, we should be moved to both pray for and evangelize the lost, and also to give heartfelt thanks to God for this salvation that He has provided. For here we see that in Christ we are not only saved unto heaven, we are also saved from the eternal torments of hell. Thanks be to God. Let us now briefly consider the Catechism piece by piece. Notice that question 42 asks, But what shall be done to the wicked at their death? I I suppose some might be thinking, But aren't we all sinful? Aren't we all wicked? And I would say this, By nature, yes. But when our Catechism speaks of the wicked here, It is referring to those who remain in their unbelief and die in the guilt of their sins. Though it is true that we are all born in sin, when a person is drawn to faith in Christ, it is because they have been born again. No longer are they wicked, for when they turn from their sins and trust in Christ, they are at that moment washed and forgiven. And though it is true that we all continue to struggle with sin, Those who have faith in Christ have been justified, that is to say, declared not guilty. They have been adopted, that is to say, declared to be children of God, made to be children of God. And they are being sanctified further with each passing day. And for these reasons, those in Christ cannot be called wicked. They are instead called saints. And this is by the grace of God alone. So then, this catechism question is asking what happens to the wicked. That is to say, to those who do not believe in Christ and are therefore still in their sins when they die. Here is the answer. The souls of the wicked is the first thing that we read. Notice that a distinction is being made between the body and the soul. This should sound familiar to you. In an earlier catechism question, we learned that believers have a body and a soul And here we are taught that non-believers have a body and soul too. In other words, all humans have a body and soul. A soul is not unique to those who have faith, but it is an essential part of human nature. Back to the answer. The souls of the wicked shall at death. Here we are talking about the moment of physical death. I have a question for you, and it is a review question. What happens to the souls of those who have faith in Christ when they die? What happens to the souls of those who have faith in Christ when they die? You may answer. Anyone? The souls of believers, where do they go? We might say heaven, into the presence of God. That is to say into glory. Baptist Catechism 40 taught us about that. The souls of believers when they die go into the blessed presence of God. But this is to be contrasted with the destination of the souls of the wicked. What will happen to the souls of those who do not have Christ as Lord and Savior when they die? The souls of the wicked shall at death be cast into the torments of hell. What is hell? I suppose we might say that it is the opposite of heaven. While heaven is a place of eternal blessedness in God's gracious and glorious presence... 
Hell is a place of eternal torment wherein God perfectly wherein God's perfectly just wrath is poured out on the unrighteous. I do not think it is quite right to say that heaven is eternal life in the presence of God, whereas hell is separation from God. God is omnipresent, uh, brothers and sisters. The difference is not God's presence, but how God's presence is manifest, perhaps we can say. Those in hell are in the presence of God, but they endure His judgment, His wrath. Whereas those in heaven are in the presence of God and they, in, they enjoy His blessed, gracious, and glorious presence forever and ever, for they have been washed. Earlier I read from Luke 16, 19-31. I'm not going to take the time to explain that text in detail now, for that's not the purpose of this sermon. But I would encourage you to go back to that text later today or later this week to reflect upon it. In that passage, Jesus tells us about the destinies of two people at the moment of death. There was a rich man who prospered in this life, but where did, it, where did his soul go when he died? Where did his soul go? Uh, we are told that his soul went to Hades. And this is what, uh, and this is what the place of hellish torment was called prior to the resurrection of Christ from the dead. The rich man suffered in this realm called Hades because he was wicked and unbelieving. But where did the poor man go? The text says that his soul went to Abraham's side, or perhaps you have called it, heard it called Abraham's bosom. Before Christ rose from the grave, that is what the heavenly and pleasant portion of Hades was called. Hades is a general term referring to the place of the dead before the resurrection of Christ. And within Hades, there was a place of torment, and there was a place of comfort, and there was a great chasm that separated the two. You notice I continue to emphasize that this was true prior to Christ's resurrection. Uh, By the way, why do you think the place of comfort was called Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom? Why was this place of comfort in Hades prior to the resurrection of Christ referred to as Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom? Uh, The answer is this. It is because it was those who had the faith of Abraham who went there. It was those who believed in the promises concerning the coming Messiah that were entrusted to Abraham who went to be with him in paradise to be comforted there. Now that Christ has accomplished our redemption through His life, death, resurrection, and ascension, there is no longer Abraham's bosom, but only heaven, and there is hell. For through Christ, the way into the heavenly holy of holies has been opened up. All who were in Abraham's bosom before Christ's resurrection are in heaven now. They are in heaven now. And all who have died in Christ ever since His resurrection are in heaven too. They went there immediately in their soul. And in so too we, if we have faith in Christ, uh, will be with Him uh, if we die before He returns. Though there are some things that require explanation in Luke 16, 19-31 because of the fact that Jesus spoke these words before His resurrection. This text does illustrate the point that is made in our catechism, doesn't it? When people die, their souls either go to a place of torment or to a place of blessedness and comfort. Now that Christ has risen, we call these two places heaven and hell. What happens to the bodies of those who do not believe in Christ when they die? The same thing that happens to the bodies of believers 
Their bodies lie in the graves till the resurrection and judgment of the great day. The mention of the resurrection day, which is the day of judgment, anticipates the next question, which is this, what shall be done to the wicked at the day of judgment? The answer to this question will have to wait to the next Lord's Day, brothers and sisters. But let me conclude with three suggestions for application. One, this teaching should move you to ask the question, where will I go when I die? Will I go to experience the glories of heaven, to be with Christ and with the Father? Or will I go to experience the torments of hell? What makes the difference between these two things? What makes the difference between these two destinations? Answer, faith in Christ makes the difference. We are all born in sin. We all violate God's law and thought, word, and deed. We all deserve the torments of hell, but God has provided a Savior for us, Christ the Lord. Listen to John three sixteen through 18. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Two, this teaching should move us to pray for those who do not believe in Christ, and also to tell them about Jesus. These are the means that God uses to bring His people to salvation. God uses the proclamation of the gospel, and He also uses prayer. This is why Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I suppose I might also add, this is why he told Timothy that the church needs to pray. The church needs to pray for all people, for God's desire is that all kinds of people would be saved. Three, this teaching should increase our gratitude for the mercy and grace that God has shown to us in Christ Jesus. This teaching concerning what Christ has saved us from, namely the torments of hell, should cause us to wholeheartedly agree with the Apostle Paul when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. A little bit later on he says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And then a little bit later he says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, Paul says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. May our gratitude towards God increase May our love for Him grow and grow. May we, like the Apostle, be moved to praise. Let me close our time of teaching with a brief word of prayer, and then we will go to corporate prayer. Our Father in Heaven, we give You thanks for Christ crucified and risen, for Christ ascended, and also for the hope of His return. I pray, O God, that all who have heard this message would be found in Him, united to Him by faith. We thank You for what You have come to save us to. We thank You also for what You have come to save us from. God, increase our love for you, I pray. Increase our faith in Christ. In his name we say these things.
Amen.